Welcome again to the fourth episode of the Corner Case Cast. I am your host, Joe Oso, and with me is my co-host, Russell the Magic Dadley. How are you doing today, Russell? Doing pretty good. Searingly warm in the cavernous studio I've carved out in the house because all the windows are shut and prepared for sounding. Yes. <laughs> I have turned off my air conditioner specifically to record this. And if any of you know me in uh, person, you know how much of a baby I am about heat. So yeah, it's a uh, sunny eighty degrees up here in the Pacific Northwest, and I do not want any truck with it. No, <laughs> not at all. It's like the hour of devastation has come to all of us. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just waiting for Nickel Bulls to just come down and put us out of our misery. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough, but you know, at least uh, we weren't having nearly as bad as the folks had in GP Vegas, though they were in GP Vegas. Yeah, 110, yeah, 110 or so. Yeah, that's how your cards melt in your car. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the uh, the coil the 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 coiling the foil coils foil curling. So I'm trying to say can't be great, but I guess the humidity thinks maybe it's not as bad. But yeah, yeah, maybe. Those uh, from the vault cards, they curl really quick in any sort of heat. You look at them funny and they curl. <laughs> it's true. So, Russell, what have you been doing magic-wise for the last, oh, three weeks since we last recorded? Lots of things. So many things because, as we all know, I fidget a lot and build it's things. True. I got... Uh, true. Yeah, so true. I got a wild hair just the other night, and I've been conceptualizing a Braids uh, Conjurer Adept deck, because I completely overlooked the fact that she said she can drop lands into play, too. So, oh, really? Yeah, really. So it's uh, artifacts, creatures, and lands. So, that you, and then, so um, you want to play a four-player show-and-tell? Yes, <laughs> four-player show-and-tell, but I'll get to do it more, because A... I've got access to blue card draw, which, as we all know, is ridiculous. And B, there's one of my favorite enchantments, Paradox Haze. Two and a blue, enchantment aura, uh, enchant target player, uh, enchanted player gets an additional upkeep. Effectively. Yes. I absolutely love it. There was another one. There's basically a time walk from Shadow Moor where you skip your next upkeep. Uh, Savor the flavor. Savor the moment. Savor the moment. Savor the flavor. Yes. <laughs> Savor the flavor. Uh, Savor the moment. I'm looking into that as a uh, possible win condition for a couple things I'm working on right now because I think it's way better than people give a credit for. Awesome. So that's what I've been doing, tinkering with stuff, noticing that I have a real problem with the three forgotten gods. Simply mm. because everybody's looking at them and want to do them, I'm bored already. Really? You don't like the new ones from Amon Cat? Oh, they're stupid good. They're great. Yeah. I'm just bored. Uh, the Locust God really goes into one deck where you draw all the cards, you make all the locusts, and then you beat people up with them. The Scarab God is pretty much going to be 90, 90% zombie tribal, sometimes focusing on the second ability where you get to... Im- internalize some stuff, but mm-hmm. that's going to be kind of boring. The like the one that has the most flexibility is actually the Scorpion God, I feel. It doesn't like straight up pigeonhole you into certain deck archetypes, which is kind of cool. 
but it's also in red and black, which is not necessarily greatest for card choices. Uh, I think that you're wrong. I think that Rakdos is incredibly good, and that it doesn't get enough credit. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying it's not as fl- it's not as versatile as some other color combinations. I mean that that could be true. It's no it's no Boros. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's no Boros. I mean, black is the best color, so any color paired with black is still the best color. Right. This is just proven science. Yes. I mean, it still can't <laughs> deal with enchantments, but it's still pretty sweet. True. <laughs> How about you? What have you been up to in the magical world of magicking and gathering? Well, I hosted about three commander nights at my house, and uh, that's been pretty fun. It's been a lot of teaching my roommates uh, the ideas behind sequencing so they have a better grasp of the game, so I don't have to really tone myself back as much. Do you feel, <laughs> feel bad about rolling them or feel like your hands are tied because like, oh, I, I, I'm I, not going to do that because I want them to continue to play Magic. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, because I don't want to be a jerk or anything like that. But I also don't want them to feel overwhelmed. So it's been a lot of like slow play, making sure that they understand everything that they're going through. That way I can start including more uh, complicated cards in the decks that I build for them. Because I curate all the cards in the household. Nobody has the time for that, so... <laughs> right, right. I build all the decks and all that sort of stuff. Um, I went down to my local uh, game store and played a couple games of Commander with the locals there. Just got steamrolled by some guy's uh, Azuri combo deck where he was taking infinite turns by turn three. Oh, with... Uh... <laughs> Stage of hours. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that happened, and some other guy got like a blasting station combo on turn three or four. It was just two kind of meh games. What else have I done? Oh, I went down, I played in a modern tournament at uh, my little game store as well, and I won playing a black white poxless planeswalker deck. Nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got a lot of dirty looks. Um, I ended up <laughs> splitting with the guy in the last round in the finals uh, because he was playing Dredge and I had like a bunch of ley lines in my deck and he was like, well, we can just split the money, right? <laughs> like, I'm tired. I want to go home. So sure. But it was a good night. Um, I had only made a couple adjustments to the modern deck that I was playing, took out some uh, redundant stuff and put in more Gideon's. Uh, <laughs> Oops, all Gideons. Oops, all Gideons, which is actually the next deck that I'm building that I think I might take to the PTQ uh, with me next month. <laughs> Oops, all Gideons. Just Gideons and cars? Yeah. Um, actually, it runs one card from Our Devastation. It's a white enchantment, two and uh, whites. It says players can't gain counters. Oh, Solemnity. Yeah, so it runs Solemnity, and it runs uh, Phyrexian Unbirth. Okay, unlike. Yeah, unlike. Yeah. yeah. Then it runs uh, four Gideon Ally of Zendikar, four Gideon of the Trials, and it runs a ton of board wipes. And it basically makes it so your opponent can't win the game. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves you to figure out a way to win eventually. <laughs> but it has 
you know, good threats in it. Should be a, a fun experience for everyone. Yeah, I mean, what's the point of the game if you can have a little fun? Exactly. So that's been my week. Um, oh, I also picked up a copy of uh, Nickel Bolas Arch Enemy. Nice. I promptly ransacked for cards. And then I picked up a copy of the uh, Commander Anthology. But my Marin of Clan Niltoth foil has a giant chunk out of the corner. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. So I have to contact customer service and have them send me a replacement. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. So eventually I'll get to build that ever-so-popular Marin Reanimator deck. But sounds That sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, Totally. It's no turn three infinite turns, okay? You know what? I'll give you that. I will give you that. I just... I have a real problem with hyperlinear decks. It's why I keep looking at my Arjun deck going, you know, I I think you need to become a pile of parts and not, uh, not a full deck anymore. I think it, it does one thing. I think that's the biggest problem that I have with black in general is that... The deeper you go, the more you want to play Demonic Tutor and Beseech the Queen, and those kind of cards kind of deteriorate the fun of the format. Right. Tutors can be good. Uh, toolboxing is, is, I feel, is toolboxing is neat. However, toolboxing typically falls way to, I could just win the game. I think I'm going to just win the game. Yeah. And if you want to play that way, then more power to you, but that's not what we do here. We build <laughs> tank. <laughs> oh yeah, we definitely do not go for the win here. At least not with these nope. cards. I mean, they, they might help you get there, but they're not going to win games for you. They're but also themselves. not going to win you any friends. Let's be real. Mine might. <laughs> I, I love land. Land is my friend. We you, have- on the other hand, I don't know. We have a selection of land-based, non-land cards this week. Oh, yeah, folks. That's That's right. Yes, very exciting. We are going after the most razzle-dazzle part of Magic the Gathering, which everyone knows are land-based. They're the most expensive cards, at least, so they must be the most exciting, right? Oh, of course. (laughs) Have you seen some of those sick lands out there? It's pretty good. I hear some of them tap for mana of a variety of colors. If you're lucky. If you're <laughs> lucky. It's true. So the first thing, or what we're looking at in this episode, is uh, fun things to do with your land or your opponent's land. And what your definition of fun may be is possibly different than what our definition of fun is. I, I, uh, exactly. Even our definition of fun is slightly different than the other's definition of fun. That's very true. So, like always, every week I always pick one artifact because I have a problem. So, the first card, I'm going to lead with my artifact of this week. And this one is something that, it's a little bit of a sleeper hit. Something that I put in almost all of my decks because it's just plain ridiculous. And that card is Sabo's Web. It's an artifact from Invasion, and it's a rare. Costs two mana of any color. And it says, when Saba's Web enters the battlefield, draw a card. That's great. It's a two-mana artifact with a cantrip attached to it. But wait, there's more. Like I said earlier, their theme tonight is lands, and what Saba's Web does is not very polite. 
Each land with an activated ability that isn't a mana ability doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Ha! Ah, ah, ha! Suck it, Maze of Ith. Exactly! <laughs> so, this is a blanket hate card for the table. And I don't like lands with activated abilities anyways, and I generally don't play them, unless they're mana abilities. It's a really rare occasion that I do. Uh, at least in Commander. So this just kind of automatically slots into my decks. I have six decks built right now. And do you know how many cards or how many decks Sabo's Web is in by itself? Four. 299. Oh, yes. Via EDH Rock. All right. I have the number right here. Look, yeah, I just misunderstood the question. <laughs> I'll admit it. I can admit when I'm wrong. Okay. All six of my decks have Sabo's Web in them, like I like I stated. All right. Because it costs like 10 cents. The beautiful thing about this is that it exists as a permanent on your board. It draws you a card when you play it, so it's essentially like a cycling effect by itself. But it also sticks and produces this ability that is so detrimental to so many people's tricks um, this gets rid of Kessig Wolf Run. This gets rid of Magister's Tower. This gets rid of, uh, Richardin Port. Uh, what else? Terrain Generator. Terrain Generator. Um, let's see a few other good ones. Those are the, like, Falling ones. Glaciers. Well, really, Falling Glaciers would just. Oh, that one will bounce back too. Yeah, it bounce back. Actually, no, it, it stops it cold. Because it wouldn't, it comes into play tapped. Oh, look at that, right? Yeah. So, Sabo's Web is one of those things where it creates an interesting board state. Uh, but it also punishes your opponent for playing cards that are really expensive. Because generally these fancy lands are, are pricey. And if you run into somebody who's playing a Library of Alexandria or Bazaar of Baghdad, whichever one of those is not the banned one. Uh, I believe Bazaar <laughs> is not banned. Yeah. If you run into somebody who's playing a Bizarre Baghdad, <laughs> which is a couple hundred dollars, you can stop that card and draw a card for a mere 10 cent rare from the invasion block. <laughs> it also has some pretty great art on it. It's kind of spooky. It's very like 90s kind of style. I'm looking it up now, I see. Oh, yeah. no, I'm uh, prepping for the next card, but uh, okay. no, it's basically Sabo, who's this great character from uh, the Weatherlight saga, using her mind to spread, like, spider webs into Gerard's mind, and I think that that's Billy D. Williams, and uh, <laughs> is that Vern Troyer up above Gerard there? Oh, it could be any <laughs> number of people from the Weatherlight, and they're all twisted in Sabo's... Uh mind and webbingness. Yes. Minding webbingness. Minding webbingness, yes. Can somebody get Carl Critchlow on the phone to explain <laughs> to us exactly what he was looking for in this art piece? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll get my people on it and we'll get his people, it'll be great. Perfect. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, Sabo's Web, that's an interesting card. Um, it... It's not one of those things that has a lot of interesting combos that I can think of off the top of my head, other than stuff like Kismet, things that force your opponent's um, lands to come into play tapped. 
Right. That way you don't get that the person they, they drop the wolf on and then they get one hit out of it, kill you. Yeah. And then they've dealt with your web. Exactly. When you're not in the game anymore, your cards don't do very much. So I would I would suggest pairing this with something like that, and uh, whichever one of the Thalias makes it so lands come into play tapped if they have a non mana ability, yeah. or they're not basic lands. That that's what it is. I like uh, that Sabo's web is also an artifact, which makes it really easy to recur in artifact decks. Yeah, it so. does. It draws you a card when it comes into play. Right. So if you put it in something like Doretti, who is going to have a lot of inherent recursion, I mean, Red does all anyways, as far as artifacts are concerned. This is really great for that. Nobody's going to want to... I mean, and, and it's not so conspicuous and, and terrifying that somebody's going to want to try to shut you down. Right. You know? You're not going to be terrified that you're drawing a card off your Sabo's web every turn. They might be terrified, though, if you have this next card in play. Well, let's, I mean, as far as tidal waves are scary, yes. And this is a Tide Force Elemental. It yes. is a, uh, for two and a blue, get a creature 2-1 Elemental from World Wake. It's an uncommon, uh, for, you can play blue and a tap to tap or untap another target creature. Not bad. I mean, it's like Puppet Master, but, uh, not as good. But wait, this is a land episode. We need a land. Ability. Mm-hmm. So we get to landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may untap Tide Force Elemental. So you're essentially getting, if you can land your lands right, you're getting two activations out of this every turn. At least. And that's not counting any places you play extra lands. You know, a couple of blue and green is really good in Commander from what I hear. So True. you drop down Oracle of Moldaya, Azami, Azami, not Azami, that's, uh, Azusa. Azusa, Lost But Seeking. Mm-hmm. Or any of the other ways to drop, play multiple lands in a turn, and then you can tap and untap Tide Force Elemental to a ridiculous degree. I actually found out about this card, uh, out of, uh, Josh Lee Kwai's, from the command zone, his Tim deck. One of the mm-hmm. few non-Tim untap things, and it's, I threw it in my Tibor and Lumia Tim deck, and it is bananas! It does seem like it would be fairly effective. It's no, uh, what is it, Goblin Sharpshooter plus Basilisk Collar? Well, good, but. <laughs> that's in the deck, that's in the deck too. But <laughs> this is still, I mean, gives you a way to untap your Arcanist the Omnipotent. Draw three cards for one blue man. I hear that's banned in EDH. Who knew? <laughs> so. But yeah, this thing is pretty great. I really like the art on it too. It looks kind of like yeah, it's just like a it looks like a, a grabbing elemental. It looks like a grabbing tidal wave. There's a guy falling down because he doesn't know what to do. It also looks like there's a bird in the trunk of the elemental. I was gonna say it looks like that ooze stuff that Nickelodeon used to dump on people. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. For around for the cool early nineties, like. Me and Grandpa Russell here were. Oh, yeah. But what this guy... I, I really like the fact that it's a landfall effect that doesn't, like, inherently pump the creature, because that's not something that you see all that often. Usually what you'll see is, like, the creature gets bigger or it gets trampled until end of turn. There but are a few that are really cool. This, Yeah, this is definitely one of them. He-drawn Crab is another one that's cool. Lotus Cobra is probably the most famous. 
But those are kind of the outliers when it comes to this mechanic. And Tide Force Elemental really steps away from that and produces uh, an opportunity for you to make interesting choices. And that's what we like the most here is interesting choices. <laughs> right. The flavor text, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this flavor text. Oh, yeah? Let's see. Yeah. I mean, sand can flow. <laughs> I just, I, I'm not sure what they're getting at with the uh, quickest sand. I mean, I'd rather have a, a, a tide elemental because tide is faster than sand. Yeah. I think they're really selling this guy short. He does have two power. Yes. It seems like he'd be a little quicker than that. Worst case scenario, you can beat somebody in the face with it. That's true. <laughs> so, do you have any combos in mind with Tide Force Elemental? Well, I did run it in a Ramsey's Overdark Assassin deck, which is always fun because, you know, classic uh, tap and uh, Royal Assassin. It's a classic. Yep. Also, it turns off, like, if, well, it only taps creatures. So, if you want to get super janky and live in magical Christmas land, you can use it to turn off your howling mind by making it a creature. <laughs> so, it's a bit of a stretch. But you but can I do like, it. I like your gumption, Russell. <laughs> you can I do like it. You can also do other things where things are turned off if they're tapped. Um, I'm trying to think of some old artifacts that do it, and the Howling Mind is the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, there's only, I mean, Winter Orb is another classic. Uh, Winter Orb is the jerk version, which means you should totally do it. Who are you talking to, and what episode are we, to, what episode are we on right now? <laughs> episode I think four. Winter, if Winter Orb wasn't so main chill, or main, uh, stream, then I would totally be on my list this week. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a classic. Yes. Good times. So, uh, after Tide Force Elemental, I, my next one is a creature as well. Uh, I'm dipping a bit farther back than you did, uh, to pull up Seismic Mage. Seismic Mage is a 1-1 human spell shaper from Mercadian Masks. It costs three mana of any color and one red. And it's a rare. It is in 43 decks on EDH rec, which is silly, because its ability is two mana and a red, tap, discard a card, destroy target land. Alright, now before you go off into saying how much of an injustice it is that he's only in 43 decks, I will say this. Two reasons. One, it's right out land destruction, reusable land destruction, which tends to get people ostracized from their tables. If used uh, irresponsibly. And two, it's a 1-1. Yes. Both of those things are true. Alright, that said, that's the negatives, let's get into the happy fun times. The best part is that he is wearing spiky elf boots while standing over a crack in the ground looking like he's gonna steal your pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Pete Venters knocked this card's art out of the park. And it's mostly because this guy is standing like, is he standing underneath a pizza? Or something? Because it looks like it's cheese in the background. That That's <laughs> lava. Or a yellow sky. Because he's standing on a fault line. He's just, just cracked open the world. 
Yeah. Because that's his so power. Either that's a yellow sky, which could only be explained by cheese, or it's lava, and I don't think he has protection from red. No, he... <laughs> it's it's innate. He, he uses it a lot protecting himself from the lava. Thus explaining the one toughness that he has. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. He's like, literally standing underneath some lava, anything's gonna kill this guy. Anyways, Seismic Mage, it's it's rude sometimes. Um, it gives you unfettered access to having a stone rain every time that you untap, and that is terrifying. When it comes down to it, you're already playing red, so you're at a disadvantage. Let's just be real here. And this card is going to draw a lot of negative attention towards you unless you use it specifically as a bargaining piece. And I think that that's the most instrumental part of this is that if you have a seismic mage on the board and somebody else has a maze of ith or they have a Gaia's cradle or they have a Cassid wolf run or they have a cabal coffers or an Urborg or whatever their fancy schmancy land is that's on the board, seismic mage will constantly keep them in check unless they're willing to sacrifice some amount of removal to get seismic mage off the board or they're willing to let you just blow up their land. So you kind of have them at an impasse because so many decks rely on these specific lands to go off, right? How many Feralese deck lists have you seen with a guy's cradle in it? How many green decks at all have you seen with a guy's cradle in them? Lots. Exactly, right? Because the card is broken. It's a it's a fantastic card, but at the same time. If you're like us and you don't have an infinite amount of money to build your decks with all the time, not that either of us doesn't have a Gaia's Cradle or hasn't owned one or doesn't have a good collection, but neither of us is exorbitantly rich either, so we have to be selective in what we purchase. Seismic Mage is like being able to show up to a competition with a Walmart brand, whatever you need to participate in the competition, and it still wins somehow. <laughs> right. The the best aspect of it though is is, is its spellshaperness. The fact that you're discarding yes. a card to turn it into a stone rain uh, is often seen as a drawback. But if you're building it to take this into consideration, it's no more of a drawback than a introducing a sacrifice outlet into your deck. Exactly. And one of the ways that, or the way that I ended up running across this card is I wanted to build a mono-red Hazaret deck that was like 60 mountains. <laughs> um, and this guy slots so well into that that it, he's just perfect. Anytime that you... Like, red already has a prolification of madness effects, and they tend to have the most benefit from being either hellbent, which is having zero cards in your hand, or heckbent, which is having one or fewer cards in your hand. And Seismic Mage really allows you to get up to that point. When you're playing red, the idea is that you aren't necessarily going to be selective in the way that you do things. You kind of want to get as much bang for your buck as quickly as possible, because in the long run, you're not going to win out, right? And Seismic Mage allows you to take anything that's not going to have an immediate effect on the board pitch it, and immediately have an effect on the board as well. Yeah, I was running it in my Jay Ballard deck for a good long while because it is 
bent on discarding cards because Jaya Bow is a spell shaper. Who knew? Mm-hmm. And uh, so having other creatures who could take advantage of uh, the Squeak Goblin of Bob or the Phoenixes that come back to my hand was beneficial. Uh, however, after a while, it got killed on sight, like, almost instantly. So I, it, I did get dropped from the deck because of that. Because, Something to watch out for, but yeah. you Meta tend to be a little bit more ruthless than I do when it comes to your land destruction. <laughs> I advocate for it, but that's just because I'm super responsible with it, and you are like a, a terror. <laughs> you, you steal one person's cultivate at the beginning of the game, and you just never hear the end of it. It's right. <laughs> it, it worked out for the best. I won that game, Joe. I won that game. <laughs> oh, did you? I, uh, I I don't remember. So, Seismic Mage will do a great job of blowing up any stupid lands that your opponents steal from you. Maybe. Uh, another good thing. Uh, unless they lightning bolt it, or, you know, mm-hmm. ballist it, or basically anything that looks at it funny. But... Look at this guy. He really wants to reach down and choke you out. Yes, he does. Super spooky. And, I mean, I didn't want to mention it because it's really low-hanging fruit, but look at that mustache. Just look at it. Just stare. Do you have to stare at the mustache? I mean, I... must. It's probably got pizza in it. Yeah. But the best part is that he's only seen in... <laughs> 43 decks. You're far more likely to see my answer to Seismic Mage than the (laughs) Seismic Mage himself, which is in 210 decks and is the Darksteel Garrison. (laughs) A two-mana artifact from Future Sight for Artifact Fortification. Uh, It's a rare. and Think about a fortification as equipment for land. So fortified (laughs) land is indestructible. Whenever fortified land becomes tapped, target creature gets plus one, plus one until the end of the turn, and the fortified cost is three. It's exactly like equipment attached to target land you control. Fortify only as a sorcery. This card ends the battlefield untouched, and unattached it stays the battlefield as land leaves. Blah, blah, blah. We're, we've all become accustomed to equipment at this point. This card is terrible. <laughs> you know what? I, I hate this card so much. Um, and I really only say that because when I was working in Wizards of the Coast's uh, customer service department, this card came up so often. Really? Yes. Um, this one, this whole set, Future Sight, uh, as a customer service representative, this uh, Future Sight had so many weird, like, one-off effects. Mm-hmm. With weird rules interactions like Gravestorm and Fortifications and Noggin Flogger Boss, I want to (laughs) say. Noggin Flogger Boss? Steam Flogger Boss. I don't remember. I have a bad memory. Anyways, Steam Flogger Boss with the contraptions and stuff. Which, you know, it's a meme now and it's funny, but when you have a bunch of people calling in asking you questions about something that there isn't an answer to, it's a... <sighs> Anyways, Dark Steel Garrison, Russell. <laughs> it's not complicated at all. No, it, it shouldn't be complicated at all. No, but because it exists as this weird niche one-of card that introduces a whole new card subtype, 
it does create some interesting rules interactions because a lot of this stuff that you'd think might be able to work on it uh, doesn't because it's not actually a piece of equipment. Right. I can't get it with Steel Shaper's gift. Nope. I can't get it with anything that stretches for equipment. Nope. I can't. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't impact anything that says uh, gets plus one plus zero for each equipment you control. Acre line slinger um, or anything <laughs> like that. But it does make the land indestructible. The thing that bothers me most above all else is that the Darksteel Garrison itself is not indestructible. Yeah, which is ridiculous because every other card has Dark Steel in its name is indestructible. Right. So aside from that one uh, mechanical Vorthosian glitch, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fine with it because of Raging Ravine. Uh, mostly just Raging Ravine. <laughs> Nothing is sadder than pumping all of, you know, your your love and your care to building up your your little raging ravine into a giant hulking raging ravine and just to have it like doom bladed <laughs> it's 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 sad making joe and if you get a nice dark steel garrison where all those horrible people can just hide inside and fortify your land and make it not destructible boom great plus you know you can when you attack with it it gives itself plus 1 plus 1 which is pretty sick <laughs> yes, I so I've used a dark steel garrison before in decks. Um, specifically, I used it in a Karn Silver Golem deck that I was running uh, many years ago that would tutor up Mycosynth Lattice as quickly as possible, and then it would put Tower of the Magistrate into play and slap dark steel garrison on it. Oh, <laughs> why would so, you do that? Uh, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. Exactly. <laughs> Tower of the Magistrate, also a huge sleeper card. And if you don't have a couple for at least a couple of your decks, I suggest picking them up now before this episode goes crazy popular and they go up from like 10 cents to 25 cents. It's very important. <laughs> really? That's not one of our cards for the week. No, Tower of the Magistrate is... Uh, it I is thought a- it was more than that. It's, it's it's at least two bucks. Okay. Well, <laughs> I might be a little bit hyperbolic there, but it's an inexpensive card. It costs two dollars. <laughs> All right. We can't, we can't be giving them false information. Just know that whenever I talk about money, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. That's just fair. I don't do a magic finance show. I do a show about bad cards. Yes. Like Darksteel Garrison. Like I mean, Darksteel Garrison, indeed. <laughs> and, and think about it. This, so I just, just checked it out, and Tower of the Magistrate is in 650 decks. So that is 440 decks that don't have protection for their Tower of the Magistrate. Which so, is really a travesty. I know. The fools. Yeah. They know nothing. <laughs> and honestly, I think that if you can somehow get your land to be a creature and equip a dark steel garrison and a dark steel other piece of equipment that you technically win the game anyways, right? That's an unspoken rule. It becomes a singularity of yeah. dark steel and then everything just gravitates towards it, but it can't be destroyed, so then you just get everything. It's like if you actually complete Cauldra, right? Oh, like yeah. Who's actually ever done that? It's just like a theory. <laughs> 
Right. It's really hard to do in EDH, and they have to like your opponents have to pretty much let you do it. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm going to get three cards in play, and I'm not going to win the game. I'm just going to get a five five. Yes. <laughs> that seems ridiculous. Do you know what's not ridiculous though? Um, animating all your lands and killing people with them. That's very true. That's what my next card does. <gasps> I would have never guessed. I don't know what's coming at all. Tell oh. me more. Tell me more, Joe. <laughs> so, just in case you want to put your Dark Steel Garrison to work, you can fish up Natural Affinity. It's two colorless and one green. It's an instant from Mercadian Masks. And it says all lands become 2-2 two, two creatures until end of turn. They're still lands. My favorite combination with Natural Affinity is Pyroclasm. Oh, wow. You know what? I got, I got, <laughs> I got one better. I got one better. Hmm. I see your Pyroclasm. I raise you Elishnorn. Elishnorn is good, but I raise your Elishnorn and I give you, oh, Insurrection. <laughs> I see your Insurrection and raise you Massacre Worm. Oh, that's good, too. <laughs> that's good, too. Basically, I think the, the long story short of this is turning all creatures to land, all lands into creatures, is, especially just small 2-2 two, two creatures, is ridiculously abusable. It really is. <laughs> this is, honestly, I think Insurrection is the best way to go with this, even though it's an 8 mana cost spell, and it's in red, and it costs 3 red. Um, but in, Insurrection is just for... Uh, Reference sake says untap all creatures and gain control of them until they turn and they get haste. So if you play this wonderful 10 mana cost combo, you get all of the lands on your side of the board as creatures until end of turn. And then you can literally beat the people to death with their own mana. Or if you're extra cool, you have like a Phyrexy <laughs> uh, altar in play and just you just sacrifice all, all your opponent's lands. I liked uh, Natural Affinity with Vitalize. I ran those in a Nissa EDH deck. Mm-hmm. And the games are ridiculous about the mana, even without a Gaius Cradle. <laughs> well, okay, Vitalize is good in and of itself, and I think that it is one of those cards that gets overlooked just because it's in green instead of blue, like you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. But with Nature's Affinity... Uh, it, it's particularly good with Vitalize because they are in the same color identity, so running the two of them is is great. And Green's lands tend to make extra mana anyways, if you're playing the deck correctly, at least. Uh, so this is really, really good. But when it comes to just being able to turn all lands in play into creatures, it's not an effect that is permanent, so it's not like a living lands effect, right? Right. Where it's something that's going to be true all the time. It's an instant, so you can choose the time to play this, right? So, say if your opponent plays a uh, board wipe, right? And you don't want that board wipe to go off, but you're in green and you don't have a counter spell. You know what's a really good way to get one of your opponents to pull a counter spell out of their hand? Playing Natural Affinity and turning all of their lands into creatures as a board wipe is on the stack. This is also true. Uh, 
though speaking of worms, you want to be careful of the white instant speed board wipes because this the ultimate downfall of that Nissa deck was the the gimmick was to animate all my lands and then kill people with them. Mm-hmm. You can only run into Rout and the <laughs> other uh, instant speed white wraths. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many times you feel like, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't animate all of my lands <laughs> and give my, give my opponents a one, uh, sided, uh, Armageddon. Armageddon? Yeah. That seems yeah. like a bad idea. But natural affinity helps you avoid that problem. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> natural affinity was the card I was using to animate my lands mostly and then running straight into uh that sounds like a poor decision making process on your path <laughs> you know to be fair i did i actually honestly did just forget that there were white instant speed <laughs> creature board wipes <laughs> until it's like so tap seven route okay then <laughs> seems fair scoop you could also do the classic strategy of just running no lands at all, which would <laughs> allow you to avoid all of the drawbacks of natural affinity. Have you really, have you considered, uh, taking that in, into, uh, into play? Mono green, no lands? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, now I've got something to build towards. That sounds. <laughs> Interesting to say the least. To see how far we can get with this, it might have to be green red. So I get Simeon and Elvish Spirit Guide. But oh, that's smart. Yeah, and then you'll have to get a couple Moxes. Oh my! So now and then you uh, you run Rada uh, Rada Erdekeld. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Because she's red she green. Yeah, she taps for me. Okay, um, I'm writing this down. So yeah, let's see if we can make. I can see if I can make this happen because that'll also give you pyroclasm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. There we go. That sounds delicious enough to be uh to be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the art on natural affinity, I I like this art actually. I don't really have a lot of guff to say about it like it the it's all right but i like the arm and the branch kind of like doing the same thing that's neat right yeah. it's it's very uh very dryad very look the these are my minions these are my people let's go rough some stuff up exactly and it's another mercadian mask card uh which i guess is my like set of choice now i never thought i'd say that uh, <laughs> a lot of people bag on Mercadian Mass when it was a really cool set. It, there's a lot of really neat cards in it. It's just, it was weird, man. It's it true. Weird. So the last one that we have on file for today is a Planeswalker named Ob Nixless the Fallen. Unfortunately, this is while his spark was on ice. Due to whatever Vorthos story reasons that I'm sure Russell can tell you far better than I can. But this is, Omnithus has fallen. He costs three black, or three of any color, and two black. He's a legendary creature, a 3-3 demon from Zendikar, and he's mythic as hell. What else does Omnithus do, Russell? Well, 
besides seeing play in a shameful only 50 decks, uh, <laughs> he has another landfall ability. And I, I know, I feel like I, I kind of copped out using two landfall abilities, but uh, this one is much different than the Tide Force Elemental in that whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target player lose three life. If you do, put three plus one plus one counters on Omniscilus the Fallen. So, I wish it said each player or each opponent, because this makes me feel like I'm picking on somebody. It does. It does get really big really fast. That he does. So this gives you a lot of options with uh, clones. Since my favorite, one of my favorite uh, 60 card casual decks was uh, a Warp World deck. Where I couldn't really ever cast the Obnix list, but I tried to fall into them with Warp World and all the lands would come into play, and yay. So, mm-hmm. you can't do that in EDH because you only have the one Obnix list. However, if you run blue, black, green, uh, say Damia, Sage of Stone, so you can get seven cards at a time to make sure you have all your, everything else, and then you're running for Primal Surge. And a whole bunch of clones. <laughs> so you get Omnixilis out into play, and then you then you surge. So that every time you hit a clone, it turns into Omnixilis, because it's all happening while the spell is resolving. State-based actions don't actually check until the spell's done resolving. Mm-hmm. So you can clone Omnixilis as many times as you have clones, and then all the landfall triggers will hit. Granted, you have to make sure you hit them if you hit like a clone... <laughs> then the Omnisilist, and then the uh, hit a clone, and then a land, and then a land, and then another clone. That second clone doesn't get those first two land triggers. But, so it'll stagger, but you get a whole bunch of land trigger, landfall triggers, a whole bunch of clones, and then you can just spread around all the love. And if you're planning for it, obviously your Omnisilist is going to have uh, Whisper Silk Cloak or something, so that the person that you can't kill because of his life loss ability, you just beat them up with however many plus one plus one counters he has on him. Yeah, he gets really big really fast uh, when you dump like 30 permanents onto the board and, you know, a third of them are lands. Mm-hmm. It's like 30 tokens on him right off the bat and if we're playing the averages, that's about what you're going to get with Primal Surge if you build the deck right. Right, and that is <laughs> that is the magical Christmas land of it all. Yeah. But that's what we're here for. We're here to, you know, fill out your Christmas wish list and then give you some other things you can do with them as well. So green also, like we were talking about before, with Tide Force Elemental gives you a lot of extra land drops. Yep. So in this in this deck that we that I've supposed we're running blue, so we have card draw, so we make sure we have lands to hit with our extra land drops. So Omnix can get beefy faster and go search for his revenge against Nahiri, who shoved a hedron in his head, which made him lose a spark. <laughs> in case you didn't know why he lost a spark. There was a hedron in his cranium, and he was really, really mad about it. <laughs> I would be pretty pissed off about that, too. Those things are kind of spiky. I know. You're, you're, think about it. Like, you're a sweet planeswalker, then you become a demon planeswalker, and then some lady with, like, a magic rock sword just shoves a rock in your face, and then you can't walk the planes anymore. You're stuck this sounds on really similar to the plot of the first Diablo game. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> really? I've, I've never played Diablo. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing is uh, so somebody finds Diablo, one of the Lords of Hell's soulstone, and shoves it into his forehead, and then uh, Diablo takes over his body, who's <laughs> also like a big red demon thing. So, 
<laughs> not that I'm saying that those tropes are uh, very unique in and of uh, science fiction fantasy in and of themselves, but interesting coincidence. So, how do you feel about Ob Nixless the Fallen as the leader of your 99? As the leader of the 99, it's going to be a lot weaker, uh, simply because you don't have any of the support cards to go with it. Mono Black is not very good at getting multiple land drops or just dumping things onto the field itself. However, with cards like Gear Per Ori and uh, Terrain Generator, you can kind of skirt that uh, with colorless ways to just get more lands onto the field. Also, uh, Liliana of the Dark Realms can make sure that you hit your uh, hit a land every turn because she makes sure that you can go fetch a swamp. Yep. And I think one of the greatest things about playing black, mono black in general, is the fact that there are at least three pieces of equipment that care about the amount of swamps that you have in play. Yes. So you can take Obnixilis and turn him into just a kind of a beat stick. Um, and it's a really, really low investment to tron up a mono black commander like that because you get one lash right in play and suddenly they've got plus 10, plus 10. Right. And since Obnix gets bigger on his own, it gets out of some mathematical form of getting bigger. Yeah. And then it's like, so you play a land and he gets another plus three, plus three, plus another plus one or another plus whatever from the equipment you have on him. And it's just, he gets, uh, ir- unrealistically huge, super fast when you throw in, uh, night- Nightmare Lash or, uh, Slash Rise. Slash Rise. Uh, Stratoscythe. There you go. <laughs> yeah, th- throw those in and it gets unreal really fast. Yeah. And then you have uh, backup stuff like Urborg that's excellent in any black deck, um, but particularly when you care about swamps, uh, which you should be if you're playing mono black. It's one of the main reasons to play mono black. Um, I just, I really like the art on Obnixilis. I think it's a really cool card. And I, I think that the landfall mechanic on it is exploitable somehow, but it, it's going to take a little bit of thought and foresight to put it together. So it doesn't, it's not one of the, it's not like Narset where you look at it and you're like, okay, I know what deck to build. Or it's not like the Locust God where you look at it and you're like, okay, Skull Clamp, this guy, win the game. <laughs> yeah. Skull Clamp, this guy, Ashnod's Altar, or, oh gosh, uh, Wheel of Fortune and all those other wheels. Loc- Locust God is done. There's, <laughs> unless you actively build the le- the least sustainable version that you can, or the least optimal build you can, your Locust God deck is already done for you. Yeah. There are like 15 to 30 cards that you're going to run, then that's not including land. And your land is pretty much going to be islands, mountains, things that produce red and blue. And then you're done. But imagine beating your friends with a 45-45 of Nixless. And a Sabo's weapon play. Because that's stylish. Because Overkill <laughs> is pretty much the name of Obnixilus's game. I don't know if you followed any of the Battle for Zenikar story, but he hates literally everybody. But more importantly, he hates the Gatewatch, he hates Zendikar the entire plane, and he wants it all to burn. Uh sounds good to me. I know, right? <laughs> So, I I think that he should have flying, and that he should be bigger than a 3-3, and that 5-man is probably a little bit too much mana for his cost. But he's a stylish commander, and only 50 people are running him in their decks at all. Right. So, 
even fewer, according to EDHREC.com, which, once again, is where we get all of our stats from. Um, he's just criminally underused, which is sad, because I think this is a really neat card, and it's a it's an area of the black color identity that hasn't really been sussed out too much. So, listeners, if you have a good Obnix list of Fallen deck, you should send it to us. What's the best way to reach you, Russell? Uh, best way to reach me is through Twitter at Rogue Artificer, Rogue, R-O-G-U-E, R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R. Yeah, Rogue Artificer. There's an A before the R there, but I think the people got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. Look, if you if you have trouble figuring it out, uh, find the card Whirler Rogue and type in the creature type that's not human. That's true. And that's me. Uh, you can find the show at Co- Corner Case Cast on mm-hmm. Twitter as well. You got it right the first time. I'm very proud of you. I know, right? <laughs> Go me. Uh, where can we get you on the Twitter? Since we're talking about Twitter right now. I am at Joe Oso, which is J-O-H-O-S-O. Um, and you can also reach me through the Corner Case Cast Twitter account. Um, if you have any questions for us, you're free to reach out to us and we'll do our best to answer them. So, Russell, we've been doing this show for four episodes now, and each time we've been doing a list of three cards each, reflecting on those cards, and then, you know, demonstrating some combos, talking about the art, that sort of thing. But we're talking about doing a little bit of format change for our next episode, and that is doing a deck tech. Indeed. So the first deck tech that we're probably going to take a look at, and we haven't solidified anything yet, we just know we're doing a deck tech next time. Um, we are trying to look at decks that are either built under very specific conditions, like the deck that Russell and I talked about earlier today about building a green deck with new lands in it. Seems ridiculous, but if you can make it work, it could be a lot of fun. The other type of deck that we've been considering talking about is... Uh, reaching out to players who have specific needs or wants about their deck to make it fun. So, like I mentioned before, I curate all the decks for everyone that lives in my household, which is three other people, and I need I need to know them from the ground up to understand like what their play styles are and like what their comprehension levels are and what kind of cards are going to make them excited and what kind of cards they're going to want to play. So. Being able to step back and reflect on that and build a deck with someone else in mind um, is a skill that I'd really like to share with the world and see if I can get some advice from other folks out there and generally start a conversation about, you know, building decks for other folks, whether that be for a specific person or just having an extra deck on hand that's accessible to somebody who's not necessarily all too familiar with the game, so... Those are the two formats that we're looking at in the near future. I think that I'll probably pressure Russell into putting together that landless green deck, or at least giving it a shot. And uh, we might be taking a look at the deck that I have put together for my spouse, which is a Azuri Claw of Progress deck that is all about stomping face. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, also, if you have any deck list you want to take a look at or might think fit in that parameter that we're proposing for future deck techs, you can email those to us at cornercasecast at gmail.com. It's true. You can find us there and on Twitter. And if you have any questions or you want to reach out and say hello, feel free. 
Thanks again for listening to Corner Case Cast Episode 4. I am your host, Joe Osa, and with me here is Russell Lee, the Magic Dad. That's me. I'm a dad who plays we'll see Magic. You guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys soon. Hopefully sooner than this time. Yes. Uh, but yes, whenever it will be, we will be there, assailing your ears with random bits of non-sequitur and cards that you will not believe actually exist. And the dulcet tones of Joe Oso's sultry voice. Until next time.